Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop here with another fun off-season episode for you as we continue our 2021 season deep dive series, talking all things Edmonton Elks here today. Uh, before we get into that, I do want to mention we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And as always, we want to acknowledge that this episode of the podcast is brought to you from Treaty 1 territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Cree. Ojakri, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Now let's bring in our guest of honor for this evening. He's one of the hosts of the Turf District podcast over in Edmonton. He's my fellow semifinals loser in the <laughs> 2021 CFPN Fantasy League. Sadly, neither of us can make it all the way to the finals. And of course, the uh, historical expert on all things Edmonton football, it's the great superfan Mike, Mike Welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing good. I'm not sure I can live up to that billing, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> well, maybe uh, the loser part, but yeah. This is a very exciting. Uh, I believe this might be your first appearance here on the, pro on the podcast. Uh, not, not from lack of trying, though, if I remember. Uh, there has been a couple cases in the past where we've tried to coordinate something. I think once something with work came up uh, and yep. I wasn't able to work out. And then once I, I think you lost your voice or, or something, I was, yep. was starting to just uh, feel like you were just coming up with excuses not to get on here. But uh, so something turned the tide in the last little while. We managed to rope you in here for this evening to talk all things about the 2021 season for the Edmonton <laughs> Elks, uh, a topic uh, you, you may not want to discuss in, entirely, but I appreciate you being here uh, to do so anyways. Absolutely. Got to take the good with the bad, right? So, or the bad with the good. So this definitely would have been the, the bad side of things, but you know, uh, we've all been fans of this league for however long, whether it's a, you know, a recent fan or, you know, a long-term old fan like myself, uh, we've kind of seen it all. And this is the uh, CFL where we've seen teams go from two or three wins up to going in the great cup the next year. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Absolutely. Now, before we get into talking about the season, I, I do always like to start off with the guest. You mentioned you've been a CFL fan for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, what kind of got you into the CFL and the Edmonton football team as it was previously named? Yeah. So um, my parents had split up when I was young, about three. And then we came to Edmonton from Southern Alberta. And um, um, my mom remarried when I was about six. And while they were dating before they were engaged, uh, my soon-to-be stepfather wanted to sort of bond with his future stepson. He was uh, born and raised in the United States and wasn't much of a hockey guy. And uh, at the time, there wasn't even an NHL Oilers team. Uh, so, But he did know football. And so we took me to some games. Uh, first, we watched the 74 Grey Cup, which Edmonton was in and lost that game to uh, Montreal, but I thought it was really exciting, uh, even though it wasn't necessarily the greatest game. Um, and then in 75, this is the year they got married, we started going two games, and I was hooked from the moment I was there. It was just, it was fast, it was uh, so much going on at all the times, and you know, I could sort of understand a little bit of the rules and everything else, and my, my soon-to-be dad, or at the time he was then my dad, um, would explain things to me. And he used to talk a lot about the history, uh, about how um, this is 1975. So uh, they were just getting into that dynasty era. But he would talk about uh, Johnny Bright and Jackie Parker and Nuri Kwong, Rolly Miles. Uh, he actually went to the same college as Johnny Bright. 
uh, where they had the infamous Johnny Bright incident at Drake University in Iowa. Um, and so, yeah, I learned all about that. And as I got older, it was just one of those things we did together. And so years later, I got into the history side of things just because it reminded me of my dad and uh, he's since passed. Um, so every time I sort of see something, I sort of think about what I would be talking to him about and him referring to all those times in the 60s and 50s and things like that. So it's uh, just a, a way for you know me to be connected with him even now. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, you take, I, I think you take the moniker Superfan Mike to heart here uh, with your <laughs> fandom of the CFL, because I have to say, like, I, I don't know if I've seen anybody with more of a, an impressive collection of just CFL uh, and in particular Edmonton memorabilia th than you yourself have. Uh, how have you kind of amassed that over the years? Has it just been bits and pieces at a time or... It's been mostly the last, we'll call it 20, 22 years kind of thing since the, the 21st century. Uh, well, as a kid, I was a collector. I was always uh, not quite a hoarder, but I always liked to get things that would remind me because I've always had a fairly good memory. So I could look at a, an old program or a ticket stub or a photo and it would just sort of take me back to that. And you could you have the smells and the sights and the sounds. Um, but like so many of us, um, my parent, when I went to university, my parents ended up having a garage sale and all of my stuff got dumped into the garage sale. And, oh, no. you know, Wayne Gretzky rookie cards, because growing up in Edmonton, we're going for a nickel, that kind of thing, which is exceptionally painful now. So uh, I moved out to Victoria in 1999 um, with a few other people to start up a company. And um, I just was missing home and everything else. So I was watching the football games and uh, I, I picked up... Um, uh, someone had some old programs and I grabbed them because there were games I would have gone to and it was great. And then just the bug started going and I'm very OCD or as I like to call it CDO because it's an alphabetical order as it should be. Um, and <laughs> so, you, yeah, you can't really have <laughs> just one program. You need to have all the programs and all the trading cards and all the pocket schedules and every little piece of paper ephemera that I could go to get my hands on. And again, like I said before, it was the kind of thing I could imagine talking to my dad about, or at the time, my dad who did move out with me. Um, uh, I could talk to him about it at the time and I'd be sort of showing him some of the stuff and especially the stuff from that 50s and 60s with the guys that he would have grown up watching and everything else after he came to Canada. So just one of those things that it was another way to connect with my dad and, and uh, have some, you know, father-son time. Wonderful. And of course, if people want to kind of hear more, see more about uh, your impressive collection of memorabilia, they can do so uh, with the Turf District podcast uh, every week. Uh, if you watch the YouTube live streams, you can see a ton of this stuff in the background <laughs> behind Mike. And, and I know you do a bit of a show and tell here and there as well. Um, you've been doing the podcast for a number of years now. How did, kind of, how did the fandom, uh, turn into that for you? Uh, well, Andrew, uh, who started the podcast in sort of May of 2015, uh, had done one or two episodes because he was a huge fan of podcasts and, uh, and didn't see an Edmonton one. So he figured if I don't see one, maybe I'll start one. Um, we met at the, in person at the, um, training camp of 2015, which was in Spruce Grove, which years later I'd move about three blocks away. Um, and it was, we had talked on, on uh, Twitter many times and, and got along pretty well. Our sense of humor mished and uh, meeting in person. He's like, you have to come on the podcast. So I thought, well, <laughs> I, I, I 
live in Victoria. He's like, oh, you just call in. So uh, that summer when we were playing, Edmondson was playing in BC and I was going to the game. So I was on the show just by a phone and it turned out great. And and after that, Andrew kept saying, you're going to be on like the host of the co-host of this show one day. And I'm like, well, I'm still living in Victoria. He goes, that's for now. You'll move back to Edmonton. <laughs> I'm like, no, dude. I mean, I live in Victoria. And if you've ever been to Victoria, especially this time of year, you realize that that's a pretty hard ask to give up. But uh, yeah, about a year later, yeah, 2016, um, things sort of fell into place. I was consulting, uh, doing IT consulting, and it was all over the internet. So I could I could live anywhere at this point. And the, the cost was about half to move back to Edmonton. So I figured, you know, let's let's do this. I'm going to do it now. And uh, yeah, within uh, three days of me moving back, I was the permanent co-host of the Turf District podcast. Wow. So uh, the thing to take away from that, I guess, is either Andrew's a psychic or he had some underhanded thing to do with it that really just motivated you to move back. It could have been a little bit of both, really. (laughs) Uh, No, fantastic podcast over there, though, talking everything Edmonton football every single week uh, throughout the season. Uh, speaking of the season, I, I, we, we do need to get into it here. Uh, um, off the bandaid, <laughs> off the bandaid, uh, 2021, obviously not the year, uh, most people were expecting, uh, for the Elks, the, uh, the three and 11 finish to the season, bottom of the West division standings. Uh, let's go back to the preseason though. Uh, kind of what were your expectations for the team coming into this year? I think a lot of people, not just in Edmonton, but around the country and the league, thought Edmonton would be a pretty strong contender. Uh, we had added some really key pieces to the club. Uh, we had a lot of guys coming back that we thought would be really strong. And everyone seemed to really believe in the coaching staff that had come in after uh, we had uh, lost our coaching staff in Scott Milanovic, our head coach anyway, in Scott Milanovic just coming into the season. Elizondo was considered to be a very good offensive mind. Of course, he was the offensive coordinator uh, in Ottawa first year offensive coordinator in Ottawa when they won in 2016, replacing Jason Moss. So we got to replace Jason Moss again in, in kind of a fashion. Uh, but again, guys like um, uh, bringing in, uh, bringing back, sorry, um, uh, Greg Ellingson, uh, and then having Darrell Walker coming in, it was just seemed like this perfect pick your poison on who you're going to cover. Um, on defense, we were still quite strong and we were getting better with Jonathan Rose um, coming in at, at cornerback. And it just seemed like, yeah, this is the team really poised to make that next step and maybe challenge for and win the West final kind of thing. Uh, and then, of course, everything kind of fell apart. Um it was hard to see no preseason games and mm. hope that that chemistry is going to come together. So I think even when the season started and we had those lo- first couple of losses, everyone sort of thought, okay, well, you know, it's not great because this is sort of a softer part of the schedule uh, or at least assumed to be a softer part of the schedule. But, uh, you know, they're going to get that chemistry together and then we're just going to take off and the winds are going to start piling up. And uh, as we saw, that didn't quite happen. Yeah, my, my preseason expectations were much the same uh, for anybody that listened to our preseason mm. shows here. I think I yes. had I had the Elks uh, finishing or going to the Grey Cup, losing to Hamilton. Right. Uh, I don't know. I don't think uh, co-host Michael Garrell, I don't think he had them in the finals, but he did have them winning the regular season uh, title in the West Division. So right. 
both very high on the Elks coming into this year uh, because of some of those pieces you mentioned, you know, namely Darrell Walker coming in or Monty Edwards, another big piece who'd been very exactly. successful in Toronto. Uh, and, you know, Elizondo, Trevor Harris combination back together. It seemed like all of the pieces were there in the preseason or sorry, I guess before the season, because there was no preseason, right. as you mentioned. Uh, but they, like you said, the chemistry just didn't seem to be there, which, which puzzled me maybe a little bit because, you know, we saw a couple of years ago BC be that team in the offseason that uh, really just brought in a bunch of guys and on paper they looked like they were going to be good, but there was no chemistry because they overhauled the whole team at once, basically. Uh, Toronto coming into this year, I feel like, had a lot of the same expectations. But to me, uh, by and large, I feel like a lot of Edmonton's team was still pretty similar to the way it was the season before, just with some of those extra nice additions added in. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. It just seemed like they were adding some strong pieces to a club that was still sort of in a groove coming out of 2019. Um, it, it was weird because, I mean, 2019, we finished eight and 10, which was not a great season. Uh, we were in fourth place, but we did go into Montreal in the East semifinal to do the crossover, won that game, I thought, fairly strongly uh, before it sort of fell apart in the East final against uh, Hamilton. Um, but I thought, OK, well, you know, we've got that two seasons there. Uh, everyone's sort of on that same playing field because everyone's had that year off other than maybe one or two players that maybe we would have played down South in the uh, XFL that first season. So, or part of her first season. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it didn't seem to gel and it, it was almost frustrating as a fan going on paper, this should be such a strong team. And so many, not just yourself and Michael, uh, um, uh, obviously we can't count ourselves. We're biased. Um, but <laughs> even some of the experts on, on TSN, uh, I think was it Matt Dunnigan that had us going to the gray cup as well. And it's just, what happened and and we're still doing a bit of a you know examination a deep dive into that uh post-mortem uh, of what happened to the season on our own show and we'll probably be talking about it for years to come yeah and you know just looking back kind of comparing the teams from 2021 and 2019 you know a lot of the talk was on those guys like like walker and edwards etc coming in right. at receiver and oh this is gonna be a dominant team now but if you look back at the 2019 team, I mean, you have C.J. Gable, who wasn't back this season. You had right. uh, Ricky Collins, Devaris Daniels. They both had great impacts that season that were now off to Toronto. So there was a bit of shuffling of players. And maybe in hindsight, you know, uh, it wasn't quite the offseason upgrades that we initially saw. But still high expectations coming into the year for Edmonton. And then of course we get to that week one game against the Ottawa red blacks uh, where they do fall 16 to 12, shocking a lot of people uh, in that game where, you know, I, I think Edmonton is one of those defenses that is often underrated. People don't really talk about the defense uh, in Edmonton. That, that's at least my, my outside perception is all the sure. focuses on the offensive side of the yep. team. I don't know if you disagree with that, um, but the offense coming into this game and then Ottawa's big game defensively kind of shuts them down in week one. What was kind of the reaction uh, or your thoughts uh, from that week one game? Well, a lot of like what you say, Ryan, in that uh, the defense I thought played very well. Uh, Ottawa scored one touchdown and that was a defensive play, a uh, pick six. So it was one of those things where, 
Yeah, uh, our defense played quite well, holding them to three field goals, um, whereas the offense just couldn't seem to get in sync. And I thought at the time, a lot of us tried to justify it by saying, well, it's the first game. They had no preseason. These are a lot of new receivers. And maybe the timing isn't quite working with Trevor Harris. Um, and, and I think that's how we sort of fooled ourselves into thinking that, no, no, this is still going to be fine because uh, our defense played so well and gave us a chance to win other than that, uh, you know, that unfortunate play. Right. Yes. Of course. Long interception, I believe it was. It was. That, yeah. Yes. That uh, turned the tide of that game there. So the shocking week one game, uh, and then we kind of get into the season, you know, we're going to break this up. I think into a, a kind of three chunks here, the early yeah. season, the bigger middle season chunk, uh, and then the, the stretch drive here. And it, it gets a little muddier, especially with Edmonton, uh, given yes. the COVID situation, the rescheduled game, but uh, looking at uh, kind of those first four games of the season, right. we already talked a little bit about the, the one against Ottawa. Then you have week two, a 30 to 13 loss to Montreal. Uh, then coming right back in week three, uh, bouncing back with the 21 16 win over BC. Uh, that week four game, I, I think that's the one that was supposed to be against Toronto that got it rescheduled. Was. Um, and, you know, you have the COVID outbreak and nobody knows what to expect from Edmonton coming out of that. And then uh, we cap off, I guess, that early season section of the schedule with the, the Labor Day game, the 32 right. to 20 win over Calgary. Uh, so all in all through four games, there are two and two start to the season. But uh, what jumped out to you, I guess, the most uh, from those first couple of games? Yeah, like you say, when we lost to Montreal in, in week two, uh, I thought people at that point started going, okay, there's a problem with the offense because we just aren't scoring. Uh, we were doing a lot between the twenties, but just in the red zone, it wasn't happening for us. So um, we thought that, you know, they need to be some sort of corrections. We went in the next week into a BC won that game and thought, okay, now we're starting to see a little more consistency out of the offense. We're starting to do what we think we're going to do. Um, James Wilder jr. Had played outstanding in those first three games and then going into, of course we had the COVID uh, game lost uh, and that hurt a lot. Uh, a lot of people have been talking, especially lately that the CFL is really not getting as much credit as it deserves for how well it handled the COVID situation. When you look at how many NHL games are being dropped, the problems in the NFL, the NBA, they, uh, everyone in the major leagues are having these problems. And we had one lost game and outside of Edmonton, how many players were affected Meyer in, in Calgary. And that might be it. Yeah. There were active there players. Very, very few. And not to mention, I mean, the fact that how lucky did we get that the gray cup uh, finished right before everything shut down yet again. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Cannot give the CFL enough credit on yeah. uh, getting the season off uh, pretty smoothly. Yeah, I agree. And then, then, like I said, then going into Calgary, where traditionally Edmondson hasn't won on Labor Day in a decade. Let's be honest, 2011 was the last time we won on Labor Day in Calgary. Uh, we won in 2015, but it wasn't Labor Day. Um, and that we thought, OK, we're two and two. We had that bad start. Everything's kind of together. We've got through this problem with COVID, even some of the people coming in. We had uh, two great receivers in Armonte Edwards uh, was one of the, uh, not Armonte Edwards, Ernest Edwards, sorry, caught that uh, outstanding play, uh, outstanding pass, sorry. Oh, my brain is not working today. Um, and I <laughs> just thought, we're, you know, so. yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it's it's late, right? Let's just go with that. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I just started thinking, okay, well, we've got some really solid play coming from our secondary receivers. Uh, Harris seems to be getting in sync uh, and we're winning these games. And we thought, okay, now this is going to be a really uh, where we start taking off and separating ourselves from the rest of the Western division. And uh, as we will, I'm sure talk about soon, that didn't happen. Yeah, my, my take kind of on the early section of the season here was, you know, as you mentioned, no preseason games. So you see those first two against Ottawa, Montreal, you know, yes, they're duds to start the season, but it's kind of, okay, well, these would have been preseason games, arguably. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, an impressive game against BC, who had kind of looked good in the first few games of the season, if I recall correctly. Yep. Uh, and then that COVID outbreak, I don't think very many people were giving them a chance at all going into that game against Calgary. And right. as you mentioned, a lot of the talk so far was on uh, the inefficiency of the offense, Trevor Harris, particularly, uh, who, uh, you know, coming into the season, like we did our preseason fantasy draft here on the show. He was the first quarterback I took off the board. I had him in as a candidate to win MOP this year, certainly did not see it going down the trajectory it went with him. Right. Uh, but then all of a sudden this week five game against Calgary coming out of the, the COVID break there, uh, 398 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, one, like a, a classic, I say this, like a classic Trevor Harris, good game. Like yes. you have your classic Trevor Harris, bad games, you yep. have your classic good ones. And I, I think that's been the knock on him throughout his career is, you know, consistently, you know, Pretty often you have those games that are that are you know mediocre, good kind of games uh, that a lot of times will get the job done, but sometimes doesn't put the ball in the end zone. And then all of a sudden he comes out of nowhere and has these big ones, uh, which he has done plenty of times throughout his career. And I think is part of the main reason you know he is consistently still viewed as a starting quarterback in the CFL is the potential is definitely there. Um, so definitely riding the high coming out of that first four games of the season there and, and maybe some signs it seemed that the offense was starting to gel together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Jalen Toller was another guy that caught that quarterback, uh, that uh, touchdown pass. And you just started seeing, okay, he's spreading the ball around some of these secondary guys. They're going to take the focus from the defense. And that's going to be when Darrell Walker and uh, Greg Ellingson and Armonte Edwards, uh, who had, of course had gotten injured, um, that's when they're really going to sort of take off and we're just going to uh, see the offense lighting it up. But like you say, there's that Jekyll and Hyde, good Trevor, bad Trevor. And uh, even in 2019, when we did so well against Montreal in Montreal for the East semifinal, it was bad Trevor when the East final came and we were in Ottawa. So we probably should have seen it coming. And in fact, when we did lose the next game, uh, the Labor Day rematch against Calgary, we thought, okay, well, it's good Trevor, bad Trevor. Okay, now we're going to be fine uh, going against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And yeah, we were not fine. Yeah, we get into kind of the middle chunk of the schedule, which is basically the Winnipeg chunk. Yes. Um, because you do have three games in four weeks against the Bombers there. Yeah. Um, CFL likes to just chunk a bunch of games together like that the, the schedule I, I parts of it i like parts of it i don't of course right. uh but that's gonna happen with any schedule in any sports league if if nobody has any complaints somebody is the scheduling genius and should go in the hall of fame of 100%. sport 
Um, we get into that middle chunk there, that next game, the rematch with, with Calgary, uh, not, not too much of a surprise that Calgary ends up taking that one, uh, just because it, you know, home and home split is pretty common in the CFL, especially sure. with rivals like this, but, uh, certainly could have kind of, you know, Calgary was reeling there early in the season as well. Another win here, uh, for Edmonton over them could have, you know, put their season in danger, obviously that they brought it back down the stretch but uh, I believe correct me if I'm wrong this game uh this rematch with Calgary this is the one where Trevor Harris gets injured following it was. this game right right yep that's the one um and again the the quarterbacks there's always seems to be a lot of injuries in quarterbacks lately uh Bo Levi had gone down and Mayer had come in and and done fairly well um we saw Mike Riley ha- having to uh, go out with his was it elbow arm um shoulder whichever something Um, in the upper body range right there's an upper body injury there somewhere um and 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 then doing quite well and then trevor harris went down in that game versus uh calgary and i thought okay well you know this is going to be a chance for us to do the same thing and we're going to see um taylor cornelius come in and uh, have a a good game with prukop as the backup uh that also did not happen um Cornelius has certainly got a lot of tools, but um, sometimes it's putting them all together. And, and again, it's hard to really judge him on this team when Trevor Harris was also having some of those same problems and he's been in the league quite a long time. So, Yeah, Taylor Cornelius comes in for the next game. We get the shot. It seemed like shocking news at the time. I think that Trevor Harris was all of a sudden, because he, he got a little bit injured in that game. Then I think he had started practicing the next week. Then all of a sudden, neck he did injury. one day, yeah. Yeah, and then six-game injured list, and it's, uh, oh, my, uh, you know, tough start to the year. Now now you're without Trevor Harris um, for the next number of weeks. Of course, then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, he was ready to go, it seemed. Again, you know, this was the season of magically healing quarterbacks. Um, Bo Levi Mitchell being on the six-game injured list, and then two weeks after breaking his foot, was it, uh, back in the lineup? Still not sure what kind of witchcraft was involved in that, but... Uh, you know, magical healing powers, I guess. Yeah, let's uh, go with that. Yeah, <laughs> let's go with that. So Taylor Cornelius takes over. Real tough start for him here. I mean, three of the next four games, I think Harris played one of those uh, against Winnipeg, but three of four games against Bombers defense that, uh, you know, was on historical streaks here throughout the season here. Not an easy matchup to come into. I want to focus on that first one against the Bombers, a 37-22 loss in week number seven. Uh, I thought Cornelius didn't play too bad throughout stretches of this game. Uh, You know, nothing spectacular. 57% completion percentage, 243 yards. He he ran a couple of times there. Uh, But it was the late game interceptions that really, you know, turned the tide of this one. But uh, the offense got things moving. I mean, 22 points against the Bombers was no slouch uh, given things at this point in the season. Was there some kind of hope uh, for that Cornelius could lead the team and kind of turn things around here coming out of that effort against the Bombers? Yeah, as again, another one where he didn't have, there were no passing touchdowns in that game and he had two or three interceptions at the end. Um, and that was kind of the knock on him, both when he played for Elizondo the year previously, as well as is in college, that it just seemed to be at the end of the game when he was trying to take the team on his back and win it, he would throw that 
terrible interception at the worst time and the team would ultimately lose. And, and it just seemed to happen again. He didn't have a great um, uh, game passing again, zero touchdowns and two or three interceptions wasn't over 300 yards. Um, so I don't know what that quarterback rating is, but it can't be very good. But again, you're going against, like you say, Winnipeg, who is an outstanding defense this year. I mean, it's, it's a solid team all around, but the defense itself was just outrageous. And Andrew Harris also had a great game that game. Uh, he sort of lit it up and you could really see that, that difference with Almondo Sewell, not in the game for the first time in, in a decade. Um, really blocking that middle uh, as much as I do love Mike Moore. And, and um, you know, it, it's, it was just very tough for the, for the fans there to be watching this, knowing that, well, maybe if we had Trevor Harris, things might've been different, but I really don't think it would have been. Yeah. And then the, the rest of that middle stretch of the season, you have week nine uh, game against Ottawa. Of course, this is another one uh, with a lot of hoopla over it. Uh, the 34, 24 loss. Uh, to the Red Blacks there, then uh, you may want to plug your ears as I go through these. Uh, 30 to 3 to Winnipeg again, 26 to 16 to Winnipeg the week after. Uh, and then let's go 39 23 to Hamilton to kind of close off that middle chunk of the season there. Uh, what stood out the most to you among those, uh, those kind of four or five games in the middle? Well, what I thought was really bad for us is that we had, like in that stretch you just mentioned, there were two bye weeks. Um, so we came in with extra time to prepare that game against Ottawa, uh, in week, what are we, week nine? Um, yeah. So we had a week eight bye. So we had all kinds of time to prep for Ottawa. And again, not a great game where we are losing by 10 points. Um, I mean, we had 24 points in that game and, you know, we had three, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Three touchdown passes, but again, those two interceptions, which kind of sealed it, he did have over 300 yards. So we thought, okay, things are building, but then it's another back-to-back versus Winnipeg. And that's, you know, that's not something we're going to be looking forward to a whole lot. And then again, that, that bye week again, um, in week 12, going into that, that game versus Hamilton, where we got just crushed at home versus the fans. And that's where it started to get really tough. The fans were starting to not show up as much. Um, you were seeing reported attendances of 20, 22,000, but I, I mean, I was there at those games and I could just do a quick head count by section. And there was maybe eight or 9,000 that were there. It was, it's really tough. And it's one of those things that Edmonton has always traditionally been in the top two or three for attendance for the last 40 years. Uh, and to see a 9,000 for a regular season game against some of these Western opponents and then, and then Hamilton, that was sending off alarm bells more than I think anything else for me. Yeah, that was definitely a discussion point there this season. Uh, how much of it what was the the impact of, you know, the year off due to COVID, do you think? Uh, and, and, you know, restrictions, certainly uh, limiting crowds at points throughout the season. I, I don't remember at what point they came into effect uh, in Edmonton. Um, how much of it was kind of related to that? How much of it do you think was related to the on-field product or, uh, or anything else kind of else related? I think it was just that perfect storm of all of it combined. Um, Edmondson fans are, are very used to having a winning team. Let's just say um, there's an expression here that we're with you winner tie. Um, but it's just one of those things that with COVID with requiring the vaccine to get into the stadium at this point, uh, this is like the 
the end of October. So this was the first game where you had to have a uh, double vaccination to get in or have a negative test. So you see, again, see those numbers drop. The on-field uh, getting to the point where we've had those losses. Uh, I think at this point we were at, this was our second last. We had five home losses at this point out of five games. Um, and it just really started to wear on a lot of people. And, uh, you know, when you don't have a lot to look forward to in the games, a lot of people are thinking it's the end of October. I can think of something to do. Uh, hockey is at this point coming back and people can sit at home and watch some hockey games. So it's all these things sort of combined that I thought really was starting to drive that attendance down um, as well as just, Again, with the COVID, you're not seeing the players out in the community. And that makes a big difference. That's part of the reason I fell in love with the team was they would come to my school. And mm. the very first time a, a player came to my school, I think it was grade three. And it was an offensive lineman named Charlie Turner. And he was massive. He just blotted out the sun. His skin was as dark as, as night. Uh, shaved head goatee looked scary as anything. <laughs> but he was, when he wasn't a football player, he illustrated children's books. Oh, wow. So he was incredible with kids and it was just like everyone in that room fell in love with him and the team. And that's the kind of thing that we need. And we've really gotten away with that the last several years, certainly the last three or four years um, of not going. I mean, the infamous not going to the uh, Monday morning magic with uh, at uh, clinic days with uh, the Oilers and the Elks um, years previous it just seemed like for a community-owned team like Winnipeg, like Saskatchewan, we should have been in the community more, but with COVID, we couldn't. So right. you're seeing, again, a lot of people not having that attachment to the team, and it turns into lack of bums and seats. Yeah, no, that's well said. I, I That's one thing I, I, I think often, too, is, you know, that the marketing of the league, like, make it about the stories of the players uh, and, you know, the involvement in the community and things like that, because I, I think that's the best asset the CFL has to it, uh, that it can use to its advantage in terms of marketing and getting fans to come to games is the, the players are so accessible. I, I know you've I, had a number of players uh, come, come on the turf district throughout its history, uh, you know, and sit down and chat with you all there. Um, and, and we see that across the league, you know, interactions with fans. Uh, you know, you have Lucky Whitehead, for example, newly signed in BC for, to an yep. extension, by the way, at the West Final in Winnipeg, watching it in the stands with fans to to watch his former team. Like, 100%. Like, like you can't get much better than that in terms uh, of interaction with the fans. There's tons of more examples as well. So, uh, yeah, I think that's something I hope the league as a whole and, and there in Edmonton as well can focus on. Uh, to kind of reel some people back in. We'll get into that a little more, you know, once we get into some of the off-season stuff uh, uh, of how, you know, we might get people back in the stands here. But going back to the kind of middle stretch of the season here, this is where we have the uh, the end of the Trevor Harris era in Edmonton. Uh, he, he does get back into the lineup a couple games later. I believe it was week 10 against the Bombers in Winnipeg. Yep. Trevor Harris plays that game. And uh, it does not go well for him. He ends up getting yeah. pulled in that one and ends up being, I think, benched the week after Correct. and yep. traded the following day to the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, what was the trade on that one again? Uh, remind me on the exact details. Oh, that wasn't a good trade. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Who did we trade for? Uh, defensive lineman. 
Oh, his name escapes me at the moment. Antonio Simmons? That's it. Antonio okay, Simmons came back that way. And it, it just seemed like you had somebody who was your starting quarterback and beats Calgary, or at least is part of that, beating that. You no, know, he beat Calgary in Calgary on Labor Day. That is massive. And gets injured, comes back, uh, plays a bad game. What do we have? 30 to 3 in Winnipeg. Um, then comes, uh, is benched the next game, as you say. Uh, and, and within two days is no longer a member of your team. And that just seems like that's a massive fall. Um, we've seen guys who were designated the starter get trade mid season before Matt Nichols famously went to the bombers in, uh, 2015 after Riley was injured. Um, and then they, uh, ended up going with James Franklin for the rest of the season until, uh, Riley came back uh, Labor Day rematch. Um, and it just seemed like, okay, well, h- how do you fall that far that fast to be from, you know, considered to be one of the top three quarterbacks in the league at the time by some people, um, clearly wrongly, um, going to uh, now you're traded for uh, one defensive lineman. I mean, trades rarely are blockbuster anymore in the CFL, but still you've got to think, I mean, I think we got more for Ricky Ray. <laughs> You know, and that was a horrible trade. So, you know, not, not, not to sure. mention, not to mention the defensive line, I feel like is a place of strength for the Elks. We've got a number of great guys there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Involved in the pass rush already. The most mind blowing thing about this for me was, I don't know if I can think of another immediate example where, you know, mid season kind of you, you trade your quarterback. First of all, quarterback trades midseason don't happen that often. Trades no. in general midseason don't happen that often. Um, but without the biggest thing for me was without a confirmed backup plan at all here. Like Taylor Cornelius had played two games up at this point uh, for, in an Elks uniform. And, and obviously, Jamie Elizondo, you know, was high on him. I believe they had spent some time in the XFL together. Right. Um, but this was still such an unknown to, to basically say, oh, yeah, we're, we're hitching our ride to Cornelius from this point onward. It kind of felt like, OK, we're officially writing off this season at this point uh, with a number of weeks still to go. Uh, now of, we go, you know, I think it was maybe a week or two later and they end up making another trade. To right. bring in Nick Arbuckle from right. Toronto. So maybe this was kind of their vision here all along. Uh, but I guess, you know, talk about those two trades kind of in tandem there. Do you, you, you said it was an awful trade, Trevor Harris, but if, if you account for the bringing in of Nick Arbuckle, uh, what are your thoughts on it as a whole? Yeah. I mean, Arbuckle um, also did very well against the Bombers, right? Uh, he was the, at that point, the only quarterback who had beaten the Bombers that year. Um, to that point. So it seemed like, okay, if he is healthy and ready to go, I think this is really good. We all saw him in Calgary, saw what he could do when Bo Levi was injured in 2019 and thought, no, this is a guy with a lot of skills. He's got a lot of tools in that toolbox and he's young and could be that sort of quarterback of the future. It definitely mitigated the sting a bit of losing a guy that was on all of the billboards, on all of the, you know, marketing materials for the Elks going into 2022. Um, But even then, I mean, that was two weeks later, I think. So it's like, wow, that seems like uh, two weeks, one week, something like that. Um, It seemed like, okay, well, as long as we start playing them. And we didn't play them in that first game against Saskatchewan, which was a great close game. I mean, it wasn't a great game, but it was at least close. 
Um, but, and then we just didn't play him and didn't play him and didn't play him. And after a while, people were like, why did we trade for this guy? Yeah, to me, that was mind-boggling as well. Um, you know, down the stretch, especially, we'll get into that at the end here. You know, three games in, what, six, seven days down the stretch, you would think right. you bring him in for one of those. I guess part of the argument is, uh, well, do you really throw him in there when half the team is either resting or exhausted and, you know, give him, like, start him off on the wrong foot here? Do you don't necessarily want to do that, but... It seemed like everything here, you know, you trade for Nick Arbuckle, then you sign him to a big contract extension for next year. Kind of seemed like this was a desperation move by Brock Sunderland to try to save his job, which we know it ended up not working. Right. Um, and and kind of left the team, you know, in a, an interesting situation coming into next year. Now I know the deal with Arbuckle has already been restructured a little bit uh, to make things a little bit easier on the team, but uh you know, uh, general managers, I get trying to save your job, but uh, but deals like that sometimes, you have to wonder, uh, what are you trying to do here? Well, what gets me is when we extended him um, shortly after we got him, that switched the, the pick that was going towards Toronto from a third rounder to a second rounder. So now you're losing your second round pick or your second pick in the draft itself um, for someone that you haven't actually seen play in your system. And if the intention was to keep Brock Sunderland and Jamie Elizondo uh, moving forward, wouldn't you want to see him in there? And of course, with Trevor Harris was playing for Montreal at this point. So you have a guy that had just joined the other team and was playing. Why don't we have the quarterback coming our way who had just joined the team at this point, at least having a simplified uh, playbook to work with and getting some reps in even having him as the backup quarterback and going in for a couple of special packages so you could see what he has uh, a good friend of ours who's been on the podcast several times Paul uh, likened him to Schrodinger's quarterback he was both <laughs> the worst quarterback and the best quarterback at the same time until you play him yeah well and we talked a little bit already about uh, bringing fans back into the stands you know I, I find it to be a hard sell okay guys trust me this is this is our new team quarterback coming into next year. Oh, but you'll, you'll have to wait till next year and sign up for your season tickets anyways to come to come see him play. You know, you, you figure maybe you give him at least a game down the stretch to, you know, uh, market what he's capable of here to the fans in Edmonton. But that does not end up being the case as right. we kind of get into that final stretch of four games on the year. You have the Ooh. home and home with Saskatchewan. Right. Uh, two very tight games there. I thought these were some of the better games the Elks played this season. A 19-17 loss to the Riders, then a 29-24 loss the week after, uh, and, and which kick-started that uh, three games in six days there. You know, they play that Saturday game against Saskatchewan. Then they have to come back right away on Tuesday and play – uh, what was an ugly football game for oh. both sides with Toronto. I think that was the, the hands down the worst game I watched all season long. For both sides, yeah. Yeah, uh, maybe that uh, that Winnipeg-Montreal game where, where the Bombers rested half the team. Uh, sure. That would be in contention, but I'm surprised I sat through that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and then a couple of days later on the Friday game, the 43 to 10 loss to, to BC in the big Nathan Rourke game there. I mean, and at that point, you you kind of just, you know, it's it's to be expected. These guys are exhausted. This is unheard of in modern CFL. Um, 
the thing that drove me nuts about the this three games in six days is, is trying to jam that game in there between the Elks and the Argos when it really didn't matter uh, in terms of standings for both teams at that point. Um, but I guess you still got to play the games there and uh, make sure everybody plays their full share of games. Yeah, like you said, that Toronto uh, Edmondson game was absolutely abysmal. I mean, you always like to see your quarterback have a 300-yard game. Combined, all three quarterbacks in that game just cracked 300 yards. Like, it was bad. Uh, There was no touchdown passes, five interceptions between the three quarterbacks. It it was just about as awful as you can get. Um, I mean, who was the leading rusher? I think it was Pipkin. Probably, yeah. Let, yeah. Let, me, let me double check on that here. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. Pipkin, uh, 78 rushing yards was the leader among everybody. Yeah. I mean, and Edmondson, in traditionally in the last four or five years, has not done great against rushing quarterbacks. Um, so I sort of went into that game thinking, like, this is going to be trouble when he starts using his legs. And while we won, when you're winning 13 to seven, it almost just feels like a loss or a tie at this point because. A, it didn't mean anything in the standings. Uh, B, they weren't willing to throw in uh, their quarterback for even a few plays just to see what he can do, even though we had no more home games at this point. Even just being able to see him playing in front of the home fans, I think would have done something. Even if it wasn't great, they could have cheered him on and, and given him some more higher percentage plays. So at least it'll build his confidence and build the confidence of the fans. But for whatever reason, they decided, nope, they weren't going to do that. Now, now, in those final stretch of games, particularly the ones against Saskatchewan there, I thought we did see some promising pieces for the future, potentially, if the Elks, you know, contract-wise can bring them back for another season. Uh, in particular, you no know, Jalen Tolliver down the stretch, I think, stepped up as one of the top yep. receivers on this team. You like to see that. And uh, I loved watching Walter Fletcher play yes. at running back down the stretch here. Uh, what did you see kind of from some of those younger pieces stepping up down the stretch? Yeah, at the beginning of the season, we were uh, permitted to go to training camp for just a few days uh, as part of the media with the podcast. Uh, And Walter Fletcher stood out immediately. He was one of those guys that were like double takes whenever he had the ball. He just seemed to have lightning quick cuts uh, and speed to burn. And we thought, okay, well, with the the big hammer of James Wilder Jr. and this sort of change up back in Walter Fletcher, this could be great. And then Fletcher didn't play at all until sort of the end. And we had talked about him on the podcast as someone, I think it was either me or Andrew said, this is the guy we're going to watch this year. And then finally, when he came out, it's like, okay, see, this is what we were talking about because the fans weren't allowed to see him play until this point, because no one was allowed to go to training camp. Uh, and I, I just thought like this kid has got something special, not only around the tackles, but between the tackles as well. He was able to get some good hard yards and uh, you know, he, we were seeing uh, five, six, seven yards a carry for averages in games. And it just seemed like even when Wilder's down, we had a lot going on on the ground game. And, and it's sort of a, a joke on our podcast that I'm a huge fan of the run. I'm a bit of a throwback to when I started watching, the run was the predominant uh, attack on offense. And you sort of ran to set up the pass or you would pass it up the run. In this case, it was running to set up the pass. Um, and, and just seeing that huge potential going in. It's just like, okay, we've, we've got something special here. Why are we not playing these guys a little more? 
Um, but at this point, I think the fans had sort of tuned out uh, in Toronto. There was like five or 6,000 fans. It's a Tuesday, not to be surprised. But even in Edmonton, again, six, seven, 8,000 people. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the, that, the season kind of ends there. You know, some promising play in a couple of games down the stretch yeah. uh, from some of those guys. But then those last two games, not much to show, not much to talk about there from the Elks perspective. Uh, just. No just from the, the ex- pure exhaustion at that point. Sure. They do pull out the win over the Argos uh, in the uh, the first of two games in week 16 there to uh, end off the season uh, for, well, for three days on a good note until that uh, that game for BC. But uh, we, say, we say goodbye, we say good riddance to the 2021 Elks yes. season. Uh, and then uh, we take a quick look here towards the offseason. They have, have kind of been, you know, the center point, it seems, of the early offseason here with the with the changes. You know, Brock Sunderland is out. Jamie Elizondo yep. is out. And uh, none other than Chris Jones comes back to Edmonton, uh, takes over the general manager and the head coach role. Uh, this was one I think a lot of people, myself included, saw coming, especially with the darn coaches cap where you're probably going to be tough pressed to hire two different guys to fill the role. Um, Jones takes over in Edmonton. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think like you say, it was sort of, we were backed into a corner there having to hire for multiple positions um, and having one person doing it, just like the person who replaced in Elizondo was the offensive coordinator and head coach. It seemed like you needed someone who could do both of those roles. Um, this is ironically the first head coach, but well, assuming we play Touchwood um, in 2022, which uh, we have to be able to play. Um, this will be the first head coach playing a game in Edmondson that it was not a first time head coach since uh 1999 wow yeah it was a lot of first-time coaches with tom higgins and machocha and richie hall and uh cavis reed and it was every time chris jones of course replaced cavis reed it was his first time being a head coach replaced by jason moss his first time being a head coach uh milanovich did come in but didn't coach a game and then elizondo he was a first-time head coach so it just seemed like we have to eventually get to the point where we're getting someone with a little bit of experience, even if they were a head coach somewhere outside of the CFL uh, in Elizondo, we thought, okay, well, this is something, but maybe it didn't work out. Uh, Jones, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get one hard hitting defense. And uh, I think our fans really quite like that. Um, seeing those big hits and that bring you out of your seat and, and that really aggressive defense that he's sort of famous for uh, as well. Like even when he left in 2015, which left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, especially in Edmondson, uh, especially the way it happened. Um, I think that if we can start getting some wins, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to forgive and forget at that point. Um, but even when he left, like we had a decent team going to 12 and six in 2017, a year and a half after he left or two years after we left by the time it was finished. And so we got the pieces put in place. Same with Saskatchewan. By the time he left, you had a decent team because people forget how bad Saskatchewan was in the 2015 season. Right. So he seems to get the people put in place. And now with G Roy Simon as the associate GM or assistant GM, maybe if he does leave, at least we've got some good people in there to pick up those pieces and, and keep walking with it. Yeah, that's the big concern, I think, for a lot of people, and myself included, that mm-hmm. uh, I, I love Chris Jones as a short-term answer. I'm yes. not sure about this for the long-term standing 
uh, of the organization. And, and you know that that's probably honestly part of why he's brought in here is you see the attendance, you see the product on the field. You know, the Elks, to me, the Elks are trying to win quick here. Yep. Uh, and that's why you bring a guy like Chris Jones in because he's excellent at doing that. And, you know, he's made some quick work here already. Uh, he has, you know, brought in some of his coaches uh, that he had back in 2015. You know, Stephen McAdoo, Jarius Jackson, he brings back with them. Uh, he also brings Marcus Howell over. All of them kind of spent time with Toronto in 2021. Uh, what do you think about uh, him reuniting the crew here from 2015? Uh, he has to bring someone he's going to be comfortable with. Uh, I thought Jarius Jackson did fairly well in his position uh, in BC and then going to Toronto. Um, I thought that given the weapons he had, I thought he did very well. They've also got some familiarity with Arbuckle, uh, both him and Stephen McAdoo. It did surprise me a bit to see them flip roll, where um, McAdoo was the positional coach in Toronto as the offensive line coach, um, where Jarius Jackson was the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator. Now he has gone back to just being the quarterback coach while McAdoo is back being the offensive coordinator again. Uh, it seemed a bit surprising. I thought Jarius Jackson wouldn't come here to take a pay cut would he but i think they they do well as a group together and i think we'll uh, sort of seeing i'm um, we had fajardo under mcadoo had his best statistical season right so mike riley had some of his best statistical seasons under mcadoo and of course we won the great cup so uh if he has a decent quarterback i think they can do well with it so and he's an offensive line guy right so we'll see a lot of running so that's fine by me and now, of course, with Chris Jones back, the watch is on to see who is the first player to play out of position for the Elks in 2022. Yep. Uh, who's your bet? Who, who, which, which wide receiver are we see in a defensive back? I don't know if it's going to be wide receiver, defensive back, or if it's a defensive end that's going to be a safety at some point. He <laughs> he loved having Odell Willis dropping into coverage when he was with us in, in 2014 and 15. It was just so strange to see. And, and defensive lines that had three defensive ends and one tackle. It was just one of those strange, strange things. But yeah, the Deron Carter thing, <laughs> seeing a wide receiver dropping into, who knows? Maybe it'll be he'll throw our, our uh, global player, Diego Viamontes, in there. He's got some speed. Right. So maybe he can uh, drop back in there and he can be our uh, strong safety or something. I don't know. A lot of people don't like him, but I have to say Chris Jones makes the league a lot of fun to follow. So I am excited to see him back in a prominent role uh, and we'll see how long he sticks around there in Edmonton. Uh, he claims he's going to stick around for four years. Does anyone buy it? I don't. Uh, but that remains to be seen. Uh, this team is you know, presumably going to look pretty different coming into next sure. season. They got to work uh, early here already in the offseason, released a number of guys, you know, notables, uh, Armani Edwards, Ernest Edwards, who's off to Toronto, Servants and Rogers, Jonathan Rose, Terry Williams, the freedom of Derek Dennis, who was kind of held captive by exactly. the Elks this season. Um what do you see this team doing this off season? Uh, what, what are the quick main areas of focus, I guess, uh, for the Elks this, uh, this winter? Uh, me personally, what I'd like to see is uh, we need to get uh, that offensive line short up a bit, especially at the tackle position. Um, we've had a lot of poor luck with, uh, either retiring or injuries to our uh, both left and right tackles. It's been super tough for us this last year and even the last couple of years before that. Um, so I'd like to see them go in that direction. But being that uh, our defensive coordinator is our head coach and general manager, I think we're going to see a lot 
uh, of uh, athletes on defense, and that's where he's going to spend a lot of his focus. So, uh, I, I mean, we might even see all of our uh, non-imports or nationals on the offensive side of the line, and it'd be strictly American uh, defense. So you never know. Uh, I, I think we'll also see a lot of people he's very familiar with. Uh, Mike Dewison uh, came back, who hasn't been in the league in four years at this point. Um, coming out of retirement, it's it's almost like watching an episode, the movie The Replacements. Um but uh, I think you're going to see people he's very familiar with. It wouldn't surprise me to see like a Dexter McCoyle or a Dion Lacey coming in at that Will linebacker spot, maybe, and having the guy we had at Will maybe move to the middle or, or who knows, right? Um, but I think you're going to see a lot more familiar names that, that are used to playing with Chris Jones, like what he does as a defensive coordinator. And you might see guys from Saskatchewan and Toronto making their way to uh, Northern Alberta. Uh, quarterback position. Arbuckle signs the restructured deal. You also have Cornelius, who's at an entry-level contract still, presumably. Um, there is, of course, uh, always chatter about, well, is the quarterback for 2022 actually on the roster right Correct, now yeah. with Chris Jones? Uh, where do you see them going at that position? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see him uh, go hard for someone like a Dane Evans, who is currently at least until February, possibly a free agent. Um, and then making the sort of the best person between the two, uh, you know, maybe win that. Or maybe again, if Cornelius can have a, a fix on that late interception problem, maybe he could go in. I don't think at his price point, you're going to see him as the starter and having a, you know, $200,000, $300,000 backup. Um, but I, if I was a betting man, I would say there's going to be at least one more quarterback coming in and we're going to see a bit of a battle going into training camp unless somebody gets released because they're just like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to, I'm a starter. I'm not play me or trade me. And of course we'll see what uh, Chris Jones, the new general manager there in Edmonton does uh, here throughout the off season, uh, free agency kicking off in under a month officially at this Ooh. point. A uh, flurry of activity to come uh, from the Elks and around the league for that as we uh, finish off our 2021 deep dive here on the Edmonton Elks. Uh, Mike, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us here. It's been an absolute blast uh, going great. through this all with you. Um, but as we kind of get ready to wrap things up here, uh, plug the podcast, plug all of your other things, uh, anything else you want to. Uh, where can people find everything you got going on? You bet. Uh, so they can find uh, the Turf District podcast itself pretty much anywhere you, uh, you get your podcast, whether that be uh, iTunes or Google Play or Spotify. Uh, we're all on there. Just search for the Turf District. We'll be the only one. Uh, as well on Twitter, we are the Turf District, along with Instagram and Facebook. Uh, for myself, you can find me at 56 Parkies. And then if you're interested in some of the history side of things or maybe seeing pictures from what we call the Horde over here, uh, you can find that at the Edmonton Football History Twitter page, which is at E-D-M-H-I-S-T-O-R-E-E. Nice. Got the spelling down. Oh, yeah. Got it down now. I think Andrew's going to turn into a song. So watch <laughs> for that remix. Awesome. Can't wait. Uh, well, thanks again for taking the time here on the podcast. Uh, finally, we were able to make it work. To have yeah, third time's the charm. Third time's the charm. And of course, you're welcome back any point in the future as well. 
Uh, for us here on the podcast, uh, this was the second of our uh, off-season series on the 2021 Deep Dives. If you missed it, go back, check out last week. I had Zach Schnitzer from the Let's Go Bombers podcast. Yeah. Uh, into uh, We chatted Bombers for almost two hours as we went game Ooh. by game through the season. Uh, we had a lot to talk about. It's great when, you're, uh, when your football team's winning games. Uh, you, you, you're more inclined to talk about them. Uh, in great detail and relive every joyous moment <laughs> as we did uh, over the course of almost two hours there. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, coming up next here on the podcast next week, uh, Michael Garrell will be back here uh, with myself. Uh, we have a plan for next Thursday at this point to uh, we're going to talk about all the latest news from around the CFL uh, in the past number of weeks. Uh, also stay tuned next week. I may have another episode in the uh, the series here on the offseason deep dive still trying to coordinate a guest for that one so uh for sure one episode and you get michael back next week uh and another one potentially to come stay tuned for that of course you can find all of our podcast related things uh on twitter uh, at our as i mentioned last episode our new twitter handle at cf countdown pod uh you can find us on facebook as well uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, do all the positive things on there that help us grow the show. Like, comment, subscribe, review, rate. Uh, I don't know what uh, I am drawing blanks on what others there may be, uh, but do all of those for our podcast. Do all of those for the Turf District as well. And make sure you check out all of the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, you can find all of those on Twitter at CF Pod Network. And if you're interested in the CFL fantasy side of things, uh, I do, uh, on top of this podcast, also run a show on YouTube with weekly episodes called the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix. Uh, you can check that out each week uh, throughout the, the CFL season. Uh, we're talking the actual you know, fantasy week in and week out. During the offseason, a lot of fun content along the way as well. So you can check that out there or follow me on Twitter at CooperTrooper42 for all of that information. Well, that does it for this episode of the podcast. Stay tuned for more to come from us next week and hopefully all off-season long. Uh, for Superfan Mike, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Bye.